I'm Liren Garrahy and you're listening to The Laughs of Your Life, the podcast where I talk to influential people about laughter. From their first memories of laughter to feeling laughed at to a doctor's take on if laughter wasn't the best medicine, what would be? But honestly, if someone said, Alex, you can't eat cheese ever again, <laughs> I would genuinely be dismayed. I would be like, I dismayed? think I'd actually be just like fully dismayed. I thought you were going to be like, I I'd genuinely be fucking raging. I would genuinely be in a terrible mood. Yeah, I would Sorry, be. I'll, I'll stop smacking you now. Absolutely, absolutely <laughs> furious. Dr. Alex George, one of the all-time Love Island greats, is my guest on the podcast this week. He's part of this year's Wellfest lineup, speaking on a mental health panel. Europe's largest outdoor health, fitness and wellness festival takes place in Dublin on the 7th and 8th of May. He talked to me about shit London Guinness how he's honouring his brother's memory, and he describes the many challenges he faced on his eight long weeks on Love Island. I'm delighted to tell you that this season of the Laughs of Your Life podcast is brought to you by FNF Fashion at Tesco. Maybe I'm alone in this, but every time a bank holiday weekend is looming, I feel like I'm entitled to something new in my wardrobe. So I was heading for County Clare on Friday for the Easter weekend, and I swung into FNF and got myself a whole new look. Keep an eye on my Instagram for said new look. I will, of course, tag FNF. And the lovely people at FNF are obviously feeling the bank holiday buzz as well because they have said I can give away a 250 euro FNF voucher on my Instagram. So keep your eyes peeled if you would like to win that. Pop in for the weekly shop and step out in style with a new wardrobe this spring at FNF. And now for my chat with Dr. Alex George. I hope you enjoy. Dr. Alex George, you're extremely welcome to the Laughs of Your Life podcast. Thank you very much. Thanks for having me. I'm excited to, to be here, virtually indeed, but here. Yes, you are my first virtual guest this season. So hopefully all of our tech side of things will go uh, swimmingly. I feel, I feel honoured. I feel honoured. Where in the world are you, Alex? So I'm in the Dr. Alex HQ. So basically during the pandemic, I think a lot of us learned that, that working at home the whole time is actually probably not great for us or for a lot of us. And uh, I really wanted to have a space that I create was my workspace and uh, separate that from my home life. And I found it to be the best thing I've done. Honestly, it makes such a huge difference. And it means when you go home, you leave your stuff at work, which I think is quite important. It's so important. And, and I think like commuting is something that we all used to complain about a lot. But actually, it is so important for not only on the way to work, kind of getting into the mode of tuning into work, but also on the way home, like decompressing. I think that's something a lot of us missed. And I know a lot of people started to kind of do fake commutes where they would go for just like a half an hour drive and then come home and work from home. Yeah, well, so, I, I actually did that because I, before I was, um, I moved flat now, but when I was living in Clapham, I used to get up in the morning, I'd have like, you know, breakfast, brush teeth, all that stuff, have a shower. Uh, and then I'd actually go for my commutes. I'd walk around a lap of the common. I'd come back and start at nine o'clock. And I felt that that was, you know, be getting a coffee. I felt like I was actually doing that commute. And, you know, now I, I really enjoy it. I walk um, from home to work as long as it's not raining. It takes about <laughs> half an hour. And that's, but that's, that's great because in that time, as you say, in the morning, get your head in the right mindset. And on the way home, you kind of decompress and you listen to some music and, you know, yeah. podcast or whatever, you chill out. Very important. You mentioned you lived in Clapham. Can I, I have to ask you, did you notice a strong Irish community there? Very strong, very strong. Yes. A good Irish, good Irish community. And actually, <laughs> there's some half decent Guinnesses in a few of the bars around there as well. Oh, I, I don't believe it reason. actually. Not I as good as Dublin. I think I said to you before we started recording, the last place that I went before the pandemic was Dublin, and I did enjoy a lovely Guinness. It is better out there. I don't know why, but it is. You need to, uh, you need to follow the Instagram page Shit London Guinness. Have you heard of it? <laughs> yeah, I have. I've seen it. Have I've you? seen it. Yeah, I've seen the people are pouring the pints and stuff. I tell you, I've had some bad ones here. Some really, really bad ones. <laughs> Unbelievable, in fact. 
Well, you'll have to come back and we'll go to the Old Guinness storehouse and have an L pint. But oh, uh, that, in the that. meantime, we need to talk about the laughs of your life. So, mm. well, I, what, do I have to call you Dr. Alex George? Or Alex is definitely, you? definitely Alex. Oh, thank God. Okay, right. We're not going to go pompous vibes. No, okay. no, 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 just Alex. Alex. Alex George, your first memory of laughter. My first memory, I think, I, I was... Uh, do you know what? I remember... I, I, I remember, not good for my dad, but I remember when uh, I was pretty little, um, we were it was a really hot summer. You always kind of uh, look back at your childhood and think it was always summertime, don't you? you kind of, I, I don't know about you, but it was always nostalgic. It probably rained the whole of my childhood, I don't know. But back in Wales, I remember having a summer's day and my dad was, um, <laughs> my dad was doing the barbecue as, as dads do. And he went to sit down, he just made himself a lovely cheeseburger, we're all out of food. He went to sit down in the chair and as he sat in the chair, he just went straight through it. And like <laughs> he was to the point where he was like, it was one of those um, wooden ones with like the cloth and he broke through that, but then he was physically stuck inside the wooden seat. And I just remember me and my brothers and my mum just laughing. He was just getting really grumpy about it. He's like, get me out of this seat. And he just couldn't get up. And oh, I, I remember at the time it was, it was hilarious. I'm sure he doesn't have as good memories of it, but I thought it was hilarious. <laughs> that is so true. I, no one's actually said that before on the podcast. It's so true when you think about your childhood. Summer is the thing that springs to mind. You feel like you were always in shorts. You were always in a t-shirt. I've never thought of it that well, way. Well, it's, it's then... interesting, isn't it? Because um, uh, if you think about it, if you speak to elderly people, they always look back and say, back in my day, children were polite to adults. Uh, people res respected uh, each other. Politicians were reasonable. You know, <laughs> mortgage rates were better. We always look back, I think, and, you know, the people we moan about now, the situations we moan about now, later on, we go, oh, actually, it was better back then. You know, yes. we always, I think we always had a slightly rose-tinted view of the past. Absolutely. And as the eldest brother, how was that? Did you embrace that role? Did you resent uh, being the one that had to be responsible? Were you even responsible or what were you like as, I, you know, in those so. younger years? I, I, I think so. I, I, in terms of being the older brother, I think I had to be the more responsible one. But I, I, think, it's, I think it's difficult because sometimes because being the first the firstborn, you kind of go through your parents kind of learning to parent. I think that's yeah. something that, you know, you, you kind of they're either really strict or the opposite. And my parents were probably a lot stricter with me than they were with my little brother. So, um you know, it has its benefits, but also definitely its drawbacks. I definitely had a harder time at certain points, but uh, by the by, the last kid, they're like, oh, whatever. They just relax yeah. and don't stress. What? what are you, where? Where in the in the order of children are you? I'm the youngest. I'm I'm the third sister. So there's three girls. So I'm the they, baby. They got it. Did they get it? Who do? Who, who did they? Who got it hardest? If you like, who is the strict? I absolutely. I should have got it hardest, but I got it easiest. <laughs> yeah, and good, my mom is always like, I let something. I in around age ten, I. And I, I, I let up too much with you and that's how you ended up the way you ended up but well, sure look at it uh, well sure I think you've done alright you know you're doing alright you, I'd say so I'd say thank so thank you I always feel like someone who goes into medicine um, it's something that would have it would have been something they wanted to do from a very young age I, I just get this idea that anyone who ends up as a doctor probably played doctors and nurses as a child was that you? Do you know what? I actually think I did. Although actually my, a stronger memory I have is me and my brother being dressed up as Batman and Robin. <laughs> we had a really great Batman <laughs> and Robin outfit, so we pretended we were superheroes. But I'm sure I did pretend to be a doctor at some point. I think I just, do you know what? I, I actually just watched, um, you know, early early shows like City Hospital and like watching the A&E doctors running around. I thought, God, it must be so exciting to do that. And, you know, what jumping out of helicopters and, uh, and it was like, you know, imagine myself doing that. And I think that's probably, in honesty, the, the first reason I wanted to be a doctor. 
Alex, the first time you felt laughed at? Oh, there's two, there's probably two occasions actually that I'll, I'll actually, there's one particular one that I was, it was pretty embarrassing and, and I did feel like, I was like, yeah, I definitely got laughed at. Um, <clears throat> I used to work in a, in a, in a pub, um, you know, washing, uh, washing dishes and things from a young age. I probably, I was pretty young, I think. I was like definitely t- early teenager. Um, and as I got older then, you know, they were like, look, you can come out the kitchen now, like you're 15 or whatever, you can, you know, you can serve food on the Sunday. And, uh, it was my first Sunday serving a Sunday lunch. And they were like, all you need to do, you've got the cloth and you just got to carry these bowls in and put in front of them and say, this is what it is and smile. And it's that, that's that. Uh, obviously it isn't quite as easy as that, but I picked up um, the veg. I think it was potatoes, mashed in one hand and then it was p- peas in a little dish on the other side. And somehow I'd managed to put my thumb into the peas, which doesn't sound like a big problem, but they were sat in boiling hot water oh. and I was too proud to be like put them back I was like, I, I, by the time I realised I was a cup I walked out with them I was like it seeped through the cloth and onto my thumb so I was halfway to the table and halfway to the kitchen I was like no I've got to do it so I got oh. there and put it down but I kind of because it was hot I put it down quite hard and they were kind of looked to be really shocked and I was like I'm really sorry my thumb was in the peas and then they all started <laughs> laughing and I was like oh my god I was literally like went bright red so then I had to take the peas back, bring them new peas, and everyone in the kitchen was laughing, and everyone in the restaurant thought it was hilarious. And my thumb survived, thankfully. Around that is water. the most teenage thing. Yeah. Like, like you would rather suffer third-degree burns than do something uh, mildly yeah. embarrassing, like yeah. turn back. Uh, if I'd have gone back, it would have been the right decision. <laughs> Should I have turned back or carried on? I don't know. I think turning back would have been probably wise, but anyway. <laughs> Did you come from um, a family, like the fact, like, you know, you're saying that it was, you were early teens and you had a job. Like, was that important in your family that you got out there into the working world and you kind of pulled up your socks fairly early on? Yeah, my, my parents, my dad uh, worked at the police. My mum worked at the bank. I don't think we had a childhood with lots of money around us. I think we had, you know, we had to be careful. I remember that there were certain times that were quite tight, I think, growing up. Uh, and I think my parents really valued, you know, that, you know, as you... Uh, become an adult or going towards your adult years that you should actually work and learn the value of money. You know, I used to have to save up for things. I wanted to buy something, you know, I'd have to save up for it either on my, you know, a couple of quid of pocket money each week or as I got older when I was earning, you know, working in, in that world. And I think it's it's invaluable and it's taught me a lot of lessons. And I, one of the things I did was um, pushing trolleys when I was, uh, I think I was 16 at the time. And uh, I always remember the story because it's something that I genuinely think it shaped quite a lot of my life and certainly the way that I'd like to think I treat other people. Um, I was pushing trolleys and you get a lot of people looking down on you, I think, in that role. Um, and people think, oh gosh, you know, just pushing trolleys outside. I actually loved it because if, it if it was sunny, it was brilliant. You were in the best place. Mm. Um, and I remember one day, it's beautiful. I love my cars. A beautiful Porsche 911 came in and parked up. And this uh, this guy got out with his girlfriend and uh, they're probably they're probably in their early thirties. Went into the shopping. I was like, oh gosh, what a nice car. And I thought, it's a very shy teenager. I thought, oh, shall I say something and say hello when he comes back? And when he came out, I thought, oh, God, I'm going to go over. So I walked over and I went to say, like, hello, like, I love your car. And as I said that, he just turned to me and just shoved his trolley and almost looked in a way that was like, really like, oh, just go away kind of thing. And I just remember thinking, you judged me not knowing my life and you think you are genuinely better than me and what you're doing. Yeah. And it was great because I'd only had my GCSEs a couple of weeks before and I'd had straight A's and A stars. And, and, and it was interesting because I thought, you shouldn't judge me regardless of anything. There's a lot, yeah. you know, I, I have a lot of things I want to do in my life and you think that I'm just whatever. 
And so I've always carried that, and I've always tried to remember that, that you, you should never judge people, A, on what they do, and secondly, don't assume, because uh, you have no idea. And so if anyone, that's why now, if anyone will come up to me or anyone says hello, or if someone said to me, oh, you've got a you know, nice car or whatever, I'll give them all day, you know, because it, you can, it doesn't cost anything to be kind to people and to be nice. No. And uh, if you start believing in something special, you're in big trouble. It's so important to learn those lessons before you do something, you know, like Love Island, because, you know, it, it's it's so important to have that grounding. I actually had Michael Bublé on the podcast last week and yeah, I saw, he was I talking saw. about, yeah, he was talking about how, like he was 28 when he made it in the music industry. Um, so he had done a lot of living. And, mm. and so like that, he's such a lovely grounded guy mm. um, because when he did shoot to fame, he knew, you know, people's struggles and he knew, you know, what it means to maybe have whatever whatever going sweat, on in your life to sweat to work hard to sweat yeah to, i i just i think you should never think that you are anything more than anyone else like the reality is we all come into the world much the same way we all leave it much the same way so uh you know i think it's worth always remembering that you know uh, we, we're not that different from each other uh, and you know it's, it's i'd rather be known as someone that was uh, kind to other people and you know was respectful of people around me than, than thinking that you're someone special I think that's you know I'd hate for people to think that I was anything but that I'm sure you're surrounded by a lot of that I'm sure you see people who uh, I, I'm sure you see it all I'm sure you see uh, like on that spectrum of you know in that world of say post of Island or whatever just fame in general I'm sure you see one end of the scale where it is the Porsche guy and the other end of the people, you know, like yourself, who who consider where people have come from. Yeah, I think so. I think, and and and, I oddly often I find it's the people who have been the most successful who are the most humble. So I had a um, a doctor called David Knott um, on my podcast, The Waiting Room, which which I haven't recorded for a while, but um, we basically spoke. I spoke to people that well, I thought was amazing and interesting and, and done incredible things in their lives and. This guy, if you don't know who he is, he's a um, professor, um, a trauma surgeon, and he can operate on the, any part of the body pretty much. But he is one of the most skilled surgeons on the planet. And he has gone for many, many years and gone abroad to work in war-torn regions like Syria, has put his life at risk, has had been threatened to be killed by terrorists and has saved so many lives. And he is the most humble man you'd ever meet. He's in, and you talked earlier on about um, pom- being pompous and saying, you know, doctor, whatever. And I, I hate the whole, I hate that whole thing. I mean, like the, the doctor addicts is because it's, that's what people know me as. But I mean, I would never insist to want people to say that. And he was the same. And this guy is one of the most skilled people on the planet. And he has done so, such amazing things. And in a way, he probably plays closest to, to God than, 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 than almost anyone does. And uh, he is the most humble. And I think that probably is the best quality about him over and above everything else. Okay, Alex, the moment when if you didn't laugh, you'd cry. Um, so, gosh, um, I was I was going to start this by saying I was very young. I remember being in the classroom and I, have a, I do actually have a vivid memory of this. And I sat there and put my hand up and the teacher said, what's the matter? And I said, miss, I need to go for a wee. And she'd put your hand down. You don't need that much. You've got like 20 minutes to end of whatever. Like you're not going. And I was like, okay, what quiet for then. But I said, miss, I really need to go for a wee. I'm not going to tell you again. You've got to wait. And then I was like, I don't know what I'm going to do yet. And I just, I just peed myself. <laughs> <laughs> I literally was like, I, to be fair, I'm pretty sure at the age, I was like, I actually need to pee. She won't let me go. So tough. 
and then I had a massive telling off. Uh, and to be fair, I think that was unfair because yeah. I had I needed to wee, uh, and she wouldn't let me go. So I did what I needed to do. You, you relieved yourself, and I relieved you gave myself. her a little desperate. bit of a. I should have ran. Yeah, to be fair, she also had to clean it up. So. So you know what? What goes around comes around. If you ask politely to go to the toilet, <laughs> let the kid go to the toilet. That's the lesson in that one. Good life lesson. It's funny, I think cha- things have changed so much in like a school setting. What age are you again, Alex? I'm 31. Yeah, so I'm 29. I'm, I'm 30 next month. But like, even in the past, I'd say 10 years, like when I think back on school and just the way we were, I suppose, treated or mm. the way even mental health was mm. dealt with, mm. like the difference, and it's a great difference. It's a yeah. brilliant thing, the way it's changed. Like, just yeah. the way, like, I remember certain ways teachers would speak to us or just, like, tell us to shut the fuck up and things. Like, now, I really <laughs> don't think that happens now. I think yeah, they're way no, more conscious. And parenting as well. I'd imagine yes. parenting's probably changed. But I, I think, it, and I'd like to think in a lot of the work, obviously, that I do now around mental health in my role over here is really to try and, uh, you know, get schools to look at that kind of whole child approach in terms of, like, 360 degree view that we're not just trying to create you know academic monsters we, we want people to be healthy and happy on the whole and learn how to interact with people in a way that's respectful i i don't think the kind of hierarchical um you know kind of slightly more old-fashioned way of teaching is actually that good for a lot of people and it just creates an idea of us and them and i just think you could be very res- i can believe you can be respectful to people in positions and your teachers without having that kind of relationship. I think yeah. it's not necessary. Uh, and you're much better off building a relationship of respect than, than one through fear. Absolutely. Alex, your no laughing matter moment in life, the time where there was no room for laughter. Well, the, this this example, I think, is a is one of those occasions, but oddly laughter was very important. So throughout, throughout the pandemic, I mean, the stuff that we saw uh, was unbelievable and you know in Lewisham where I work we saw so many patients very early on and people were very sick and it was it was tough it was hard what we saw was difficult you know I had colleagues that were unwell and you know that was a, that was a difficult time in all of our lives and um, but funny enough even though it's no laughing ma- matter what happened laughter and humor was very very important to get us through I'm not talking about laughing about the situation, but trying to use little glimmers of happiness or making a colleague smile or, you know, just make them laugh in some way. It kind of gets you through. And I do believe that in the worst situations, they say you either laugh or you cry, yeah. you know, and I'm a big believer in that. And I find that humour is a brilliant way for me to get through difficult, difficult times. And so I think a lot of me and my colleagues, we just just try to as ridiculous as it sounds, amongst all the things going on, tried to have fun in some way, you know, in the moments that we could. And, and uh, yeah, I don't know what we'd have done without it, really. I want to make sure I pronounce your brother's name correctly. Is it Clear? Clear, yeah. That was good. Is good. It we- Thank you. Good is it Welsh? Yes, it is, yes. yeah. It means God of the Sea, which is why I have this ta- wave tattoo. Oh, wow. Uh, God of the Sea, which I think is a beautiful, it's a beautiful name. I chose his name, actually. Did I you? 10. I was 10 at the time, so my parents said we'd love a, a Welsh name, and I said, Clear is a beautiful name. Well, obviously, like, that horrendous stage of your life happened during the pandemic. So, mm. obviously, only talk about what you're comfortable to talk about. But I, I, I kind of want to commend you and, and almost, yeah, and thank you for how open you were and have been about that experience for both yourself and your family, because I genuinely think it's made 
a massive difference, of course, in the UK, but also in Ireland, like just to because the 90% of these Love Island people that you follow, it's fake tan, it's teeth whitening, it's hair curling. And that's fine. Like, that's grand. We all love that stuff as well. But to have a couple of people, you know, talk about really meaningful, hard hitting stuff. It's so important, like because you, you would have built a following through the shiny stuff, the Love Island stuff. But then you have a captive audience and then you're talking about all of this real life stuff. Yeah. Are you proud to be an ambassador for that? Uh, yeah. I, I mean, it's one of those situations that I, I think you either let something horrendous eat you and destroy you or you try and use that energy to do something good. And, you know, grief is an energy. Uh, happiness is an energy sadness is an energy they're all different forms of energy and so if you can capture that and that powerful sense of you know i i have this within me i need to do something then i think you can do a lot and and you know i i i don't work alone either directly at the team that's around me or in the sense of you know the campaigning there's so many other people that kind of you get involved with and that come together to make it happen but for me you know at the end of the day i've got you know a, a big audience uh, on my instagram i've I can reach people through, you know, the TV and stuff, and and I I I, I feel a duty to to make sure I do everything I can, and you know I didn't really expect to be end up, you know, in the role that I that I have as youth mental health ambassador. It didn't exist. It, it actually was created because I campaigned so hard that we we need to do more, and, and the government kind of said, well, why don't you come into this role, the volunteering role? You're not within government, but you can sit alongside and work with the kind of charity partners, the NHS partners, and so on and kind of help look at areas we can raise awareness or bring a light to things that we need to do better. And so that's that's what I, I try and do. And, and uh, it's always a balance because ultimately, I, you know, that takes a lot of my time. I also still need to pay the bills, uh, which yeah. is why I still work with brands and I've you know, got different projects like the prescribed uh, company that I've got where we, we kind of do a lot of self-care stuff because you actually have to pay the bills. But at the end of the day, the thing that gets me up in the morning, that you know, makes me really feel a sense of purpose is the work that I do in mental health. And I don't want to sound like virtue, virtuous in that sense, but that, that is what get that kind of what keeps me going. Do you feel like they're listening to your suggestions? Do you think, do you feel like changes are being made? I think we're getting, getting, getting places. I mean, you know, I, when I said I'd join the role, it was on the agreement we'd get 80 million towards mental health support teams at schools. So that was a good start. Um, I, I've, we've started a, a campaign around bullying called Don't Face It Alone, which we actually held at number 10 Downing Street and filmed videos that would go out to all the schools in the country. Um, and that's that's brand new. It's just something that started. But I think one of the biggest things for me is I think we need to move as a, as a, a this island, as, as well as, of course, the rest of the United Kingdom. We need, we need to move towards more community-based care for mental health. Mm-hmm. So stop thinking about, you know, white coats and hospitals and start thinking about how within the community environment, that, that we can support particularly young people. So uh, one of the things I'm passionate about is early support hubs. So these kind of literally community building, youth led uh, with youth workers at the core, uh, with psychological experts such as counsellors that kind of fit in. And that hub should ref- reflect the, 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 the society and, and the people that live there. So for example, one of the ones that's charity funded up in Scotland, I've got the Wave Project. Well, actually the Wave Project's actually in different coastal parts, but they've got one up there. And, you know, they do therapy through surf therapy and they get people who've never surfed before, get them involved. And a lot of the people stay within the youth hub and they, they continue to help and volunteer. The other place I've visited 
uh, a gym in North London where the Jewish community started a boxing gym and they use boxing as a basis for well-being, something you wouldn't really expect or connect the two. And it's amazing and it helps young men as well as young women in that area. And I think that is the way we need to move. That is the way that we should be putting funding because we, you know, just saying we just try and patch things up when things, you know, are really bad or we wait till things are really extreme. It's just it's just not right. And I don't think that's the that's what people want either. In the past couple of years, you can't really talk about Love Island without linking it to mental health. When you think back on your time in there, but the way you talk about yourself as a younger person and the fact that you were shy and stuff, I can't imagine you as a person even filling out the form for Love Island. Like, what made you, what well, propelled you to do it? <laughs> that's the, I, I didn't fill out the form, that's the thing. They, <laughs> they, they reached out to me through Instagram, me and my right. 200, 200 followers. Not 200,000, my 200 followers. How did um, they find you? I think it was through a dating app, actually. I think, I'm pretty sure okay. one of the producers had added me through Bumble or something. I can't I can't exactly remember, <laughs> but they were like, I don't know why. I mean, but they, they wanted to have this interview, and I thought it was a prank. I literally had my mates winding me up. And <laughs> Anyway, I did a phone call, and I was like, I'm not doing it. Like, I'm just not. Not because I don't like the show, but I was like, I'm happy. I like what I do. Yeah. And uh, funny enough, as one of my consultants is a huge fan of the show. He said, no, you've got to do it. Go to an interview. Even if you don't get on, it'll be an experience. And, and, and so I was like, fine, I'll do the interview. And yeah, next thing you know, they were like, we'd like you to start as one of the original cast. And I was like, oh, God. So <laughs> it just kind of happened. And yeah, I think as I was, I was definitely the most introverted person on there. I am an introvert, naturally. Yeah. You, know, you can have, you know, it, people often talk about introvert versus extrovert. And you obviously, well, you probably know this, but, you know, in, if you're an introvert, you draw energy alone. It doesn't mean you can't have extroverted features, but you yeah. spend that energy. Whereas an extrovert will get energy by being extrovert and actually they spend energy on their own. They like leak their energy out, I guess, when they're alone, they need to top that up. But I found that difficult. I think being on that show for eight weeks um, and not able to have any time on your own was very challenging. Uh, a really good test. It was a really good test, a good test of metal. And people go, oh, it's so easy just lying on a uh, in a pool. I was like, for four weeks, I couldn't leave the villa at all. Either you was in the bedrooms, which is a small area, <laughs> Or the pool area and the area around. I can't leave. Didn't leave for four weeks, right? And no dates or anything. But I think three or four weeks. <laughs> uh, I was stuck in there because no one wanted to, to know me. And, oh, uh, Alex, and, uh, that's stop it. That breaks my heart. Uh, that was true. Um, <laughs> and uh, uh, and uh, yeah, but anyway, uh, and, uh, and I was stuck in there basically. And I can tell you, not being able to speak to your family or your friends to bring your mum, you're in this place you're so like alien to. It's not easy. I could tell you it's not easy. I know I've worked in NHS, I've sweated in one of the most busiest, challenging hospitals to work in. I can tell you that wasn't easy on that island. Yeah, my heart bleeds. Absolutely no, well, how terrible for me lying there in the sun. <laughs> how horrible. It's one, of, it's one of those things, isn't it? You're like, this is amazing. You feel really bad because you're like, oh, God, I actually find this quite hard. But I'm no, I get here you, though. It's, with yeah, a cocktail like it's, or it's... whatever. But it, it's, it, it's not about that. That's great. But it's, you know, I love my family and yeah, I love of course. my parents. And, um, you know, but it's, just it's set up in a way that they kind of do want you to go a little bit crazy because that's what makes great TV. Sleep much, and you know, we, I, I don't know what time exactly, but I mean, we didn't have a lot of sleep. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, you're constantly in situations you're uncomfortable. Uh, and so, yeah, <laughs> it, it's amazing. I really enjoyed it. I mean, I look back and I'm so glad. I think a lot of the things that you value most in life come from challenges, don't they? So when you've done exactly. something really challenging, you feel good that you've done it. Like everyone hates sitting GCSEs, but it's a good feeling when you've got the results or you know whatever your equivalent exams are. Like, you know, when you do those exams and you've done them, you go, 
oh gosh, actually, I didn't enjoy doing them, but I'm very proud that I did. Exactly, you know? the payoff is worth it. Exactly. Alex, the person you always laugh with? Uh, my best friend, uh, Adam, I'd say. I, uh, he's He was my best friend throughout school. We were very, very, pushed each other so hard. He um, wanted to be a dentist, I wanted to be a doctor. Um, we went to a school, to be honest, that was, it was a state school and in many ways it wasn't, it, it wasn't that great <laughs> in many ways. Yeah. Uh, but we pushed each other really hard and we helped each other as well. And we'd always have a laugh. I mean, we, we, we're the same now. We're, you know, we've, we've known each other such a long time. We're both in our 30s. He's got a kid on the way and I'm going to be the godfather of the child, which I'm very excited Aww. about. And we, we're just always able to laugh about the most stupid things. And again, it comes that I think that laughter is so important, even through times when, you know, when Clear passed away and he was he came at my he was there at my front door the next morning when I just arrived back at midnight or whatever it was. And he was waiting outside for, for you know, to come in and to see us. And, you know, even then, even through those darkest times, we'd always have a laugh and just be stupid you know and I think you need that you need that friend that you can be really stupid with and childish and silly you know and I don't think that will ever change Alex a time where you had the last laugh um I think actually probably the time that I I, and I I don't often look back and think oh gosh I showed you because I don't really believe in that and I think I don't think that's a very healthy mindset to have but I do I do look back and I remember um so I have dyslexia and I wasn't actually di- I wasn't actually um, told or aware of that for, until after medical school. But at school, I remember just distinctly that I really struggled with the writing. The reading wasn't so bad, although if I read out loud, I'd make lots of mistakes, but I could understand, I could read it and whatever. And I got put basically in a, in a class and not to kind of, not really to kind of help my uh, my reading or, or, or tackle a problem or look into where I got dyslexia, but basically because they were like, you're just not clever enough to be in the normal class at school. And they stuck me in this class. And it, I remember the teacher telling my mum, like, don't expect him to go that far. And, uh, you know, don't have too high expectation. My mum was like, the kid is really bright. I mean, are you sure? Yeah. Like, they're like, yeah, he's like, was like, that's not right. And eventually my mum kicked off to the head teacher, said he needs to be back in the full classroom. We'll sort the writing as best we can. He'll be fine, you know, whatever. And then... I got into med school and uh, I got a distinction. So I was in a top kind of four or five of my year. And my mum saw uh, this teacher afterwards and told him uh, that I'd got the distinction and was going to, you know, one of the best hospitals in the country. And uh, I think she had a very, I think she enjoyed that moment. Um, I love that. And it was kind of nice because I didn't say anything. It wasn't me that saw her. But I think there was, was, I'd imagine that was a satisfying moment for my mum. It was her last laugh, but really you were reveling in it as well. I love that. It's, you know, and I think it's very, you've got to be careful because, you know, people, you've got, I always think, you know, holding grudges and stuff, what's the point? It doesn't help you at all, but it is sometimes nice to look back and go, well, did prove you wrong, didn't I? Ah, mic drop. Yeah, yeah. Okay, Alex, I love asking this because you're a doctor. <laughs> if laughter wasn't the best medicine, what would be? Ah, that's a perfect question for this, I guess. Do you know what? I, there's a complete opposite, opposites, and I can't choose which. It would either be Stilton, a nice Stilton, a nice bit of cheese, uh, on a cracker, or be a drive out in the car. Obviously Both not at the those... same time for obvious reasons, but I... I <laughs> Both I, of I, those I... answers are so British. I, they are, aren't they? <laughs> I know. A little know suggestion of Stilton on a little cracker or a, an afternoon drive a on a Sunday. Spin. Yes, yes, darling. We'd have a little <laughs> drive out in the countryside. Lovely. Yeah, no, I, I, I just... Do you know what it is? Stick a bit of cheering on when you're in the car and all your stresses, you can kind of... I just... I love it. Put some music on, have a drive or... 
Yeah, I do like my Stilton. Oh my god. Stinky gosh. the better, or a stinking bishop's nice. Do you like cheese? I live for cheese. Stinking bishop. Do you like strong cheeses though? What, what, you, uh, oh yeah, yeah. Like any any kind of blue cheese. Like Wensleydale, I love. Yes, yeah, I do like that. But you, see, I, I think you've got to have something that's a bit sweeter or whatever alongside a stinky one, like one after the other. Yes. So you've got a bit of the, you know, to and fro. But honestly, I, if someone said, Alex, you can't eat cheese ever again, <laughs> I would genuinely be dismayed. I would be like, I dismayed? think I'd actually be just like fully dismayed. I thought you were going to be like, I I'd genuinely be fucking be raging. A horrible, a horrible, uh... I would genuinely be in a terrible mood. Yeah, I would Sorry, be. I'll, I'll stop slagging you now. Absolutely, absolutely furious. <laughs> I think I would be. I love that. I think that's what would you choose. First... What was your medicine? What is your medicine? What is my ah glass of red? Bottle of red. A glass of... Bottle of <laughs> red. Bottle yeah. Red. Now we're talking. When you say glass, do you mean the bottle size glasses? Is that what you mean? I no. I just mean after, just like 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 one glass after the next, complete a full just bottle true. myself. Yeah yeah, yeah. 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 I can't say that's the best medicine, but <laughs> <laughs> neither is loads of blue cheese. So you know. <laughs> Who am I to uh, know who am I to touche. Yes. Okay, are you ready for your quick fire round, Dr. Yes. Alex George? Yes, yes, yes. Okay, the actor you always laugh at? Uh, probably Jack Black. I just think he's hilarious. I loved School of Rock and, yeah, he's a legend. I, he doesn't doesn't seem to take himself too seriously. So I like Love him. that answer. Uh, the actress you always laugh at? Uh, kind of because I also had a crush on her, Jennifer Aniston. I mean, she's just amazing. Like, I mean, you're just, just saying her because she's hot. Like, she is funny, but really you're just answering with she, her. It's both. Hot. I just think, I, in, honestly, in friend, I used to love Friends. Like, I'd watch it all over and over and over again, and I just think she's amazing. She is amazing. The movie you always laugh at? I love Happy Feet, and I've got a penguin tattoo on my arm. because so cute! Because I believe penguins are the most resilient, amazing animals, because they, to weather the difficult times, they come together and they huddle in the cold, and they rotate so the inner penguins are allowed to warm up and then they'll move around and they take the cold and brunt the cold for the ones in the middle to look after them. And they also mate for life as well, which is which is pretty cool. So I like that. That is so... Oh, my God. Stop trying to and, be so cute. Feet, that is so and cute. And happy feet is hilarious. And it's sad and hilarious at the same time. How many tattoos do you have? Uh, just three, actually. I got, I got that heart for everyone in the pandemic that passed away that I treated and uh, the wave for my brother. Um, and I'm actually gonna get another one. I'm gonna get his name written below it as well and do that Lovely. probably next week. Lovely. Alex, your favorite comedian, the comedian you always laugh at. Uh, I, and I, do you know what, I met him in real life and he's a great, I, I honestly think he was a lovely guy, Michael McIntyre, he's very funny. I like, I really like humour that's like, I can, you can relate to it and you're just like, yes. it's so funny. And he is just, yeah, he was lovely. I, I, I thought he was a really nice guy when I met him, so uh, fair play. I love the wheel. Do you watch the wheel? I was on the wheel. We I was terrible. I was on it and I was terrible. I came last. I, I can't <laughs> do, I don't do general knowledge. I, do you know what all the questions were? They were like EastEnders, pop, uh, fashion. There's all sorts of, I don't know anything about that stuff. The only stuff I got right was food and a medical <laughs> question. That was it. I just, I don't actually know anything else apart from about penguins. Penguins and blue I, cheese, that's it. Yeah, I was going to say, if there was a cheese round, you would have nailed it. Oh, okay, man, I I'm, smashed it. <laughs> and finally, Alex, your best or worst joke? Uh, okay. Doctor, doctor, I swallowed my pocket money. Take this and we'll, <laughs> take this and see if there's any change. <laughs> Very good. That is actually quite good, isn't it? That is actually good. That's I like actually, that one. I, I think dad jokes the best. Like... I don't know if I'd ever, have, if I'm ever, if I have children or not or whatever. But I, I think dad jokes, I, I'd enjoy the dad jokes. They are good. Would you like to have children? Do you think? 
I, I, we'll see. I think it's uh, it's one of those things that I, I think it's not something to worry about. If it happens, it happens. If it doesn't, it doesn't. So how are you getting on in the love department? What's the latest? Uh, no updates. No updates here. <laughs> no comment and no update. <laughs> I'm nice like, try. I'm, I'm, trying to get on, I'm trying to get on the Daily Mail. Ah, no, 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 no. <laughs> Dr. Alex George, it's been an absolute pleasure. You're a true gentleman, and thank you so much for sharing the last a quintessential one, is that what you say? <laughs> thank you so much. Thank you for having me. Thank you for listening to the Last of Your Life podcast with Dr. Alex George, who's part of this year's Wellfest. Weekend and day tickets to the event on May 7th and 8th are on sale now at wellfest.ie. I really hope you enjoyed the episode and if you did, don't forget to like, subscribe, rate and review. It really helps the show if you do. Don't forget, our new release day is Monday. This podcast is produced by Chemistry Media and Collaborative Studios and this season of The Last of Your Life is brought to you by FNF Fashion at Tesco. Thank you.